Today we're going to be talking about a man named Pilate. Pilate who Jesus would appear before him basically on trial. It's Matthew chapter 27 beginning at verse 11 just right where we left off last week. I want to tell you a little bit about Pilate and who he is so we kind of understand what's happening in this passage. In the first century when Jesus is in uh, Israel, the, the nation of Israel had been overtaken by the Romans. And so they were, they were now just consumed by the Romans and part of the Roman Empire. So the way that that worked is the Romans wanted two things. Uh, they wanted taxes and then they wanted uh, peace. And really they only wanted peace so they could get their taxes. And their peace is different from how we would perhaps pursue peace. The Romans pursued peace at the cost of terror. Uh, they basically said, you either do what you're supposed to do and get along, or we're gonna come in and we're gonna slaughter everybody. And so that's, that's just how, that's how it worked in the Roman Empire. So they used force and terror to ensure peace that would enable them to continue to collect taxes. So Pilate was a man who was part of the Roman Empire and he was made the governor over this area of Jerusalem and, and part of, of modern day Israel. So the Jews were allowed under the Roman Empire to have some authority. And so in, the, in their day, the, the Sanhedrin was this group of Jews that, that ruled on behalf of the Jews. But you got to understand, when I say ruled, I mean they ruled as far as the Romans would let them. And they had to, they had to, to work, with, work with Pilate. So they didn't have the authority to execute Jesus. Only the Romans were, uh, would allow execution. And so they bring Jesus to Pilate trying to, to get a conviction. Their, their goal, their end game here is to have Jesus crucified. And so they bring him before Pilate, but Pilate's in quite a bit of, of, of a spot. He really is. He's, in, he's under a lot of pressure. And, and I want you to understand this today because many of us are, are much more like Pilate than we realize in terms of the situation that we're in, the pressure that we're under from the culture and the crowd, just like Pilate. See, Pilate's job depends upon keeping order and keeping taxes flowing. That's the only reason Pilate has a job as the governor. It's not like the United States where you get elected governor and, and you might get reelected, you might not. Pilate was appointed by the Roman Empire and he's only there so long as he can do what they want him to do. And so he has to keep order. This means keeping uh, all the Jews and all the Jewish leaders under submission and control. So Pilate's worst fear is, is another riot or another uprising. They've already had several in Pilate's day. And so that's his greatest fear because it just makes him look to Rome like he's not doing his job. And Pilate understands how it works in the Roman Empire. You don't get fired, you just, you just get beheaded or you get, it's just, it's just not a good scenario. So Pilate's under tremendous pressure to try to keep order and keep the peace and the Jews now bring Jesus, the Pilate, with all kinds of charges against him. Pilate, the Bible's pretty clear, even Pilate recognizes that Jesus is, is innocent. And we're in a three-part series here last week, today, and next Sunday we'll finish up. But I want you to see that throughout these passages, the Bible emphasizes that Jesus was innocent. We know that Jesus would go on to be crucified. We know that it was horrific. Uh, it's hard for us to imagine in our civilized nation today, uh, somebody having nails driven through their body 
and, and attached to a cross where they would basically bleed out and suffocate. But that's what crucifixion was. And it was painful and it was gruesome. And we know that it was horrific, the death that Jesus died. But here's what I want you to understand. That is not the emphasis of Scripture. The Bible does not focus on how bad it hurt, how bloody and gory it was. The Bible focuses on the fact that Jesus did not deserve to die. He was without sin. Even before Pilate, as he goes for his trial, the Bible's clear here that Jesus is innocent. Pilate, we're going to see how he responds. As we think about what does this mean for us today, what does this mean we should do? If, if we become convinced that Jesus is without sin, what is it that we are supposed to do? I want you to think about that question throughout this morning's message as we look at what Pilate did. Matthew chapter 27, beginning in verse 11. Would you join me in standing as we read this together? The Bible says, Now Jesus stood before the governor, and the governor asked him, Are you the king of the Jews? The governor is this man Pilate that I've been talking about. Jesus said, You have said so. But when he was accused by the chief priests and elders, he gave no answer. Then Pilate said to him, do you not hear how many things they testify against you? But he gave him no answer, not even to a single charge, so that the governor was greatly amazed. Now at the feast, the governor was accustomed to release for the crowd any one prisoner whom they wanted. And they had then a notorious prisoner called Barabbas. So when they had gathered, Pilate said to them, Whom do you want me to release for you, Barabbas or Jesus, who is called Christ? For he knew that it was out of envy that they had delivered him up. Besides, while he was sitting on the judgment seat, his wife had sent word to him, Have nothing to do with that righteous man, for I have suffered much because of him today in a dream. Now the chief priests and the elders persuaded the crowd to ask for Barabbas and destroy Jesus. Then the governor again said to them, Which of the two do you want me to release for you? And they said, Barabbas. Pilate said to them, then what shall I do with Jesus, who is called Christ? And they all said, let him be crucified. And he said, why? What evil has he done? But they shouted all the more, let him be crucified. Let's pray together. Father, I pray that you'd help us to understand what was taking place in this passage today. I pray if there's anybody here it's not come to understand that Jesus was without sin. I pray today they would understand what that means and they would put their faith and their trust in him. For it's in his name that we pray. Amen. You may be seated. Well, we're looking at the life of Pilate and what he did here. And here's what I want you to understand. Pilate, the Bible says here, he was amazed at Jesus. But it is not enough to be amazed by Jesus. I think there's a lot of people today that are amazed by Jesus and amazed by what he did. That will not be enough to bring you to saving faith in Christ. So Pilate, because of his position, he has to investigate the claims of the Jews. So that's what's happening in verse 11. It says, now Jesus stood before the governor and the governor asked him, are you the king 
of the Jews. Notice what Jesus says. He doesn't say yes or no, which is probably what Pilate was looking for. But instead, Jesus said, you have said so. Now, here's why Jesus didn't just answer him yes or no. When Pilate said, are you the king of the Jews? Pilate was asking that because the Jews had said, this man is trying to lead an insurrection. This man is going to take over. That's the only thing that Pilate, as the Roman governor, would have been concerned about. Pilate didn't care about the Old Testament. He didn't care about their religious laws. If they had said he was healing a man on the Sabbath, he's black, they, he would not care. And so they brought him before Pilate and said, this man's trying to lead a rebellion, an insurrection. And so when Pilate says to him, he says, are you the king of the Jews? If Jesus had said yes, it would have been absolutely true because Jesus is not just the king of the Jews. He's the king of America, isn't he? He's the king over everything. He's the creator, sustainer of the universe. But Jesus was not the kind of king that Pilate was asking him about. And so instead of saying yes or no, Jesus says, you have said so. And then John in his gospel, he fills in a little more details about the conversation here. Listen to what John's gospel tells us about this conversation between Pilate and Jesus. John chapter 18, verse 36. Jesus answered, my kingdom is not of this world. If my kingdom were of this world, my servants would have been fighting that I might not be delivered over to the Jews. But my kingdom is not from the world. So Jesus explains to Pilate that his kingdom is just not of this world. And Pilate begins to very quickly realize that Jesus is not what the Jews are claiming that he is. Jesus may be a king, but he is a totally different kind of king. When it came to the chief priests and the elders, Jesus never answered. It says in verse 27, but when he was accused by the chief priests and elders, he gave no answer. I want to tell you why I believe he gave no answer. They had already made up their mind what they were going to do, and no answer would have made any difference whatsoever. You know, there's another person in Scripture that Jesus never answered. At one point, Jesus is sent over to Herod. Now, this is not Herod the Great who killed all the babies in Bethlehem, but it's his son, Herod Antipas. Herod Antipas was the one who beheaded John the Baptist. John the Baptist was the, the last prophet since 400 years earlier when there was Malachi. John the Baptist was an extraordinary preacher. John the Baptist didn't lead a church. He was a, he was a prophet. He didn't even go into cities. He went out in the middle of the wilderness, and great crowds came out to hear him because everyone knew that John was a prophet. And Herod Antipas... John called him out to his face for being an adulterer. And yet the Bible says that Herod loved to talk to John because he respected him. Even Herod knew that John was a prophet. And yet Herod allowed pressure from his wife to lead him to behead John the Baptist. Herod heard him preach, and Herod would interact with him privately and hear from John. But instead of turning from his sin, he would allow John to be beheaded. So the Bible tells us what happens when Jesus comes before Herod. 
It says in Luke 23, verses 8 and 9, when Herod saw Jesus, he was very glad. The same way he responded to John the Baptist. For he had long desired to see him because he had heard about him and he was hoping to see some sign done by him. But listen what happened. So he questioned him at some length, but he made no answer. Jesus was before the chief priests and the leaders of the Jews. They accused him of all kinds of things and he wouldn't respond, no answer. Jesus goes before Herod Antipas, the man who had beheaded John the Baptist, and he has no, no answer, no response. I, I want to tell you what I believe about how God speaks to us based on Romans chapter 1. In Romans chapter 1, the Bible tells us that everybody can look at creation and know there's a God. It tells us that God has revealed things about himself simply by looking at creation. And it also tells us that people throughout history have known there was a God and yet rejected that knowledge and instead discontinued and continued and to continue to live in sin. And here's what the Bible says about this. It says, therefore, God gave them over to do what ought not to be done. And throughout that chapter, it describes people living in all kinds of sin and no longer bearing any conscience about it because God is no longer speaking into their lives. Here's what I believe this teaches us about how God works. I believe there's a time in your life when God speaks to you. Maybe you're listening to a song on the radio and God speaks to you through the words of that song. Uh, maybe you're uh, having a, a devotion or you're reading a booklet and God speaks to you through it. Maybe someone invites you to a service and you hear a sermon and God speaks to you. And you realize that what you're hearing is true and you need to respond. But you don't. And so later God speaks to you again. But you don't respond. And so later God speaks to you again and you don't respond. There comes a point where God has nothing else to say to you. The chief priests had reached that point. Herod Antipas had reached that point. And so God, if God is speaking to you about your need to be saved, your need to serve, I would urge you to respond while you still can. Jesus had no words for Herod and no words for the chief priests. The Bible says that Pilate, as he saw that Jesus wanted to make no defense, was absolutely amazed at what he saw. It says in verse 13, then Pilate said to him, do you not hear how many things they testify against you? But he gave no answer, not even to a single charge, so that the governor was greatly amazed. Pilate was amazed at Jesus. Pilate, being in his position, Pilate had interrogated a lot of people. And no doubt, he was used to criminals making every excuse in the world offering all these defenses, begging and pleading for their lives. But here stands Jesus, and they bring all these charges against him, and he doesn't say a word. Pilate is absolutely amazed. Pilate was not only amazed at Jesus, but Pilate was fully convinced that Jesus was innocent. 
Notice what the Bible tells us in verse 15 through 16. Now at the feast of the governor, the feast of governor was accustomed to release for the crowd any one prisoner whom they wanted. And they had then a, notice this word, notorious prisoner called Barabbas. A notorious prisoner. Now notorious means to be famous for really bad things. So this man Barabbas, it doesn't go into great detail about all the crimes that he committed, but he committed so many crimes that he was famous for being such a horrible person. And as you read this gospel account, I, I fully suspect that the very reason that Pilate offered them the choice between Jesus or this awful prisoner Barabbas is because he thought that no reasonable person would ever choose Barabbas over Jesus. It was his conviction that Jesus was innocent that led him to offer up Barabbas. He said, well, how do you know that Pilate believed Jesus was innocent? We'll look at the next two verses. So when they had gathered, Pilate said to them, who do you want me to release for you, Barabbas or Jesus, who is called Christ? And then now in verse 18, we have this, this divinely inspired commentary where the Bible tells us what Pilate was thinking. And it says in verse 18, for he knew that it was out of envy that they had delivered him up. See, Pilate, Pilate had seen Jesus. Uh, Pilate knew about Jesus. Pilate's now interrogated Jesus. And, and he, here's this, this, this poor man who's simply traveling the country, helping people, teaching good. Pilate realizes this man is not trying to lead any kind of rebellion against Rome. Pilate knows that Jesus is innocent. But he also saw the Jews... He worked with these people all the time. Uh, just like politicians in Washington. It's that same small group. They're not new to one another. They know what the others are like. They have to deal with each other all the time. Pilate had dealt with the Sanhedrin constantly. He knew what these people were thinking. And the Bible says that he knew that it was because they were envious of Jesus that they had offered him you know, even Pilate's wife knew that Jesus was, was innocent. The Bible tells us what happened with Pilate's wife in verse 19. It says, besides, uh, meaning in addition to, while he was sitting on the judgment seat, his wife sent word to him. Have nothing to do with that righteous man. That's how Pilate's wife described Jesus. Have nothing to do with that righteous man. For I have suffered much today because of him in a dream. Now, I don't know what you think about dreams and God speaking, but the Bible's pretty clear that God spoke to Pilate's wife in a dream. And she was having nightmares about Jesus being executed. And she sends word to her husband. Says, don't have anything to do with this. He's a righteous man. Pilate was amazed at Jesus, and he was fully convinced that Jesus was innocent. But it was not enough to bring him to faith in Jesus. Now, notice what happens here. The Bible tells us about the crowd in verse 20. It says, now the chief priests and the elders persuaded the crowd 
to ask for Barabbas and destroy Jesus. So Pilate's going to bring out Barabbas and Jesus, and he says, which one do you want me to set free? And the Bible tells us that the chief priests were going through the crowd, and they had influenced the crowd to ask for Barabbas. Just because a majority of people believe something does not mean that it is true. Do you understand that? Just think about through history how many times the majority of people have believed things that were not true. There was a time when if you had said the earth is round, you would have been laughed out of any school in the world. Everyone believed that the earth was flat. There was a time when the greatest scholars in the world thought that the ocean just went off and just dropped off the edge. They weren't stupid. They just didn't know any better. They didn't have any way to observe or measure. All throughout history, we've seen things change and come and go. And today we have such technology that, that we can do polls that will tell us uh, almost to the day what the majority of people in America are believing about different issues. But you know what polls tell us? They tell us what the majority of the people think and nothing else. They don't tell us what's true or what is false. Just because the majority of the people believe something does not mean that it is true. That was the case in Pilate's day, and it's the case in your day. And I want you to understand this. If you choose Jesus, you're going to choose to go against the crowd most of your life. Here's what the Bible says about the ratio between people who believe, who believe and follow Jesus and people who don't. Jesus in the Sermon on the Mount said this. Enter by the narrow gate, for the gate is wide, and the way is easy that leads to destruction. And those who enter by it are, notice this word, many, many. For the gate is narrow, and the way is hard that leads to life. And those who find it are few, few. You have to decide whether you're willing to go against the many in order to be one of the few. Pilate, he knows that Jesus is innocent, but he's not willing to go against the crowd. And so in verse 23, this is the third time that he appeals to them. In verse 20, it tells us that the chief priests had persuaded the crowd to choose Barabbas. And then in verse 21, it says the governor again, so it's the second time that he's that he's asked them. Pilate clearly wants them to choose Jesus to be set free. And so a third time he says, he says, why? What evil has he done? But they shouted all the more, let him be crucified. Let him be crucified. Now here's what I want to ask you today. If Jesus is innocent, if Jesus is completely without sin, what are we going to do with him? See, at some point in your life, you, you've got to decide. The Bible, the Bible is crystal clear that Jesus was without sin. It says it over and over and over again. Now, some people, in fact, the crowd, 
would say, well, the Bible is just an antiquated book that's unreliable. It's a book of fairy tales. It didn't really happen. The Bible's not true. That, that could be. That could be. But if the Bible is true, and I believe with all my heart that it is, if the Bible is true and Jesus is without sin and Jesus is innocent, then you and I, we need to worship him. We're not innocent and we're not without sin, not one of us. The Bible says that every single one of us have fallen short of the glory of God. We have all sinned against him. And that's the reason that Jesus went to the cross. The reason that he stood there as the Jews hurled these accusations and said nothing was because of you. Jesus was not a victim of the Roman Empire. And he was not a victim of the Jews. Jesus laid down his life willingly so that you and I could be forgiven. So I want to ask you today, if heaven is real, how will you get in? If heaven actually exists, how will you get in? Let me tell you what the Bible says about our own effort. The Bible tells us that whatever we do on our own is not going to be enough. But you know what it tells us about heaven? That is it a free gift that Jesus paid for when he died on the cross. And, and if you're ready to stop trying to fix yourself and you're ready to stop trying to pay for your own sin, and you're ready to stop comparing yourself with everybody else so that you can feel good about how less bad you are than everybody else, if you're ready to give all that up and just say, God, I need to be forgiven. If you'll put your trust in him, today you could be forgiven. You can have peace that when you die, heaven is going to be your home. What are we going to do with Jesus? I hope that we'll worship him. Let's pray together. Father, I pray if there's anybody here today that's never understood that Jesus died for them. I pray that today they'll put their faith and trust in him. Lord, help us to live our life.